Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Scott Irwin. I'm an associate pastor here at Hobart Portage. I'm glad to be with you this morning. And uh, today, I want to talk about how to kill a church. We're going to look at how to kill a church out of Acts chapter 2. And so I'd invite you to turn your Bibles there. We will um, hop into Acts chapter 2 in a little bit. But we're going to see this morning uh, exactly, biblically, just how a church thrives and also how a church dies. We're going to see the early church uh, today out of the book of Acts and see this kind of incredible focused devotion that the early church had and how it, uh, how it changed lives, thousands of lives, how it glorified God, all stemming from the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the work of Jesus Christ um, that had just taken place in the city of Jerusalem. And the events surrounding uh, Acts chapter 2 are absolutely incredible. It was, it was real revival. It was, uh, it was a city set on fire for the glory of Jesus Christ. There was real life change that took place. And we have this picture of a group of disciples, you know, not just the 12 disciples that we talk about uh, through the Gospels, but this group of followers of Jesus that had kind of come together in the city of Jerusalem and they earnestly sought the glory of God, but more than that, they earnestly sought uh, the welfare of other people. They sought the welfare of the disciples, and more than that, they sought the welfare of the city that they were in. And this is the kind of question that, that I ask of myself. This is the kind of disciple of Jesus, the kind of um, church member that I desire to be. How can I be? a part of a church that is actively changing lives in the city that it's in. How can I help this church, Hobart Portage, how can I help Hobart Portage uh, accurately reflect the heart of Jesus to other people, um, to God himself, and, and to the cities that we live in? And I know that this is the desire that we all have uh, for Bethel Hobart Portage. We want to be a church that is all about him, a church that is all about Jesus Christ, we want to be a church that loves the Word of God, and, and really what I've seen from so many of you is we desire to be earnest disciples that are actively seeking God's glory, they're actively seeking the welfare of others, and they're actively seeking the good of the cities that we live in, actively seeking the good of, of Hobart and of Portage and of Valparaiso, um, good of Winfield, the good of Couts. I don't know why you guys drive so far. Uh, what else? The good Lake Station, Maryville, um, Kankakee Valley. I think they come to second service. That's a long haul. Where else? Am I missing any place? Laporte? Anywhere? Chesterton? Thank you, Chesterton. We want to be disciples who earnestly seek the good of our cities and the glory of God within this church. And so the question is, you know, how do we do that? How do we be a church that is uh, just like in Acts 2, we're, we're going to see a healthy church is joyful and outward-facing. How can we be a church here at Bethel Reportage that is joyful and outward-facing? And so that's the question that each of us need to ask ourselves as part of this congregation. How can I, as a member or an attender of Bethel Hobart Portage, be involved in the health of this congregation? And how can I help make this church joyful and outward-facing? 
Uh, maybe you just started attending Bethel Hope Reportage uh, at, at the start of the year, and, and you're wondering, how, how can I get involved in this church? Um, or maybe you have been coming for a long time, but you've had a hard time finding connection or, or finding community. Maybe you want to help the church. Maybe you want to be involved in spreading the kind of life change that Jesus uh, enacted in your own heart, but you just don't know where to do it or how to serve. Or maybe, uh, maybe you need to be spurred on a little bit this morning and reminded that you have a role in creating a joyful and outward-facing church here at Bethel HP. You know, whatever question uh, you land under, I hope to answer that question for you this morning. Because the fact of the matter is, is the church is not a building, right? We know this. The church is not a building. This building is not the church of Christ. It is each and every one of us who have committed our lives to following Jesus Christ, who have found forgiveness for our sins in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We collectively are the church. And so how are we joyful and outward-facing individually and collectively? I love HP. I love you guys. And I've seen so much joy and outward facing from each and every one of you. I've seen this actively involved. I think this is a healthy expression of the body of Christ because so many of you are committed to the Word of God and so many of you are committed to one another. And so what I hope to do this morning is be encouraged to continue being a joyful an outward-facing church, but I also want to look at Acts chapter 2 and maybe be warned against um, some unhealth that could creep into a congregation and slowly chip away at its mission, um, at its joy, at its outward-facingness. This is what I hope to warn us against this morning. And so how can we be uh, introspective this morning? How can we look in, inside our, our church, but ourselves as well, and see the, the health of our church, the health of, of each and every one of us. Um, and I think uh, one way that we do this is uh, through autopsies. And autopsies are, are really strange things. If you um, are a crime show uh, nerd, if you enjoy them, I enjoy them. You have heard of autopsies, you know what they are, but if you really stop and think about it, autopsies are, are, are pretty strange. And for most of human history, they were, uh, they were not considered good practice, right? Why would you open up a dead body? You're just inviting bad luck on yourself. Um, and you know, today, autopsies serve uh, incredible purposes. They help us in the realm of medicine. Uh, they solve um, crimes. You know, a coroner goes in and, and opens up the body and sees exactly what happened. What was the cause of death? And this happens in churches as well. There are organizations dedicated to going into a church that has closed its doors and seeing, all right, what happened? What happened that this expression of the body of Christ had to, had to close its doors? And so what we can do this morning is maybe um, take a little bit uh, of an introspection, look at the autopsy of some deceased churches, look at warnings from Scripture and say, okay, how can we take these warnings so that we might remain healthy ourselves. And so first, what I'd like to look at is what does an unhealthy church look like? 
If a church was setting out to be as absolutely ineffective for the kingdom of God as possible, um, if somebody wanted to know just exactly how not to involve themselves in church, uh, maybe you'd come up to me and you say, Scott, I am looking to be the best bump on a log that I could possibly be. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I have a bump on a log recipe from Acts chapter 2. These are the four steps to killing a church. These are the four steps to being a bump on a log in a church. So step one, step one. If you want to be a bump on a log in a church, you need to be as casually indifferent about God and others as possible. And this is the heart of the Christian life, right? Love God and love others. This is the summary of, this is Jesus' own summary of all of the Old Testament, all the prophets, all of the law, um, a lawyer came up and asked him and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love God and love others. This is Jesus' own summary. And if you want to be an ineffective disciple of Jesus Christ, then you should attend church with an incredible air of indifference about the things of God and about the people of God as possible. Right? Forget that this is a room full of people who will live for eternity in one place or another. Forget about the fact that we are coming into this space and worshiping a God who is bigger than all things. Forget about all of that and approach this with as much casual indifference as you can muster. Step one to being a bump on a log is casual indifference. Step two, step two. Partake in the body life of the church with a bored formality. The bored formality. You should come into this place, you should sing, you should engage with the sermon and the people here with as much bored formality as you can build up in your soul. If you're thinking of a model, you need to think about a British aristocrat, okay? With his nose stuck in the air to everyone and everything when you come into this place, just absolutely bored, right? Make sure nothing raises your emotions. Make sure no desire pops up in you because you've seen that, you've done that a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. You need to make sure that the gospel of Jesus, the stories of his followers, the things that he's doing in this church don't stir you one bit. That's step two. Step three, so much as it depends on you, be as greedy for your own self-increase as possible. A bump on a log is only in it for themselves. What can this church do for me, right? What can it give to me? How can this church and the people here make my life easier? An inward-facing church, an ineffective church, is made up of inward-facing people. And so if you want to be ineffective in this body, you need to make sure to be greedy for your own increase. And then finally, step four. Step four. If you must fellowship, if you absolutely must fellowship, do it in secluded cliques. Do it in secluded cliques. Uh, you'll find it's really hard to come to church and uh, not get involved in others, other people's lives, right? You can't come in here for too long, no matter how hard you try. You can't come for too long and not talk to somebody or not hear about somebody's uh, marriage or their kids, uh, no matter how hard you try, inevitably you're going to have to talk to somebody, 
right? You come in and you talk with people on Sunday morning, but to make sure that you stay ineffective, if you have to be with people, make sure it's only ever in secluded cliques. Don't talk to new people. Don't talk to different people. Only connect with those people who are like you, and we can make sure that most everybody feels unwelcome when they come into this church, right? And so these are my four steps. These are quick four steps to killing a church. When people are casually indifferent, when they're bored, when they're greedy for their own increase, and when they fellowship in secluded cliques, the result is a sad, shrinking, inward-facing church. And this is not a church that is reflective of a God who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. This is the kind of church that does not bring God glory. And praise God, this is not the kind of church that we have here at Bethlehem Reportage, right? Amen, amen. But let's be reminded, let's be reminded to push against these tendencies that we have to self and to seclusion, to inward-facingness. And so the real question for this morning is what does a healthy church look like, right? What does a healthy church look like? And so to that end, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 to 47, and I would like to read them. Uh, I'd like to read this whole chunk of text. And I'm going to ask you uh, actually to stand as we read God's word this morning, out of honor for God's word. This is the start of the church of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen and amen. You may be seated as we dig into this passage this morning. This, this is an incredible picture. It's an absolutely incredible picture of the church. It's an absolutely incredible picture of the people of God doing what the people of God ought to be doing. And really, this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of, right? If you look at this and you say, man, that sounds incredible. That sounds amazing. The people of God committed to doing the things of God, and I want to be a part of it. So let's break this down a little bit. How can we be healthy? How can we reflect as we are able, the, the church as it's expressed in Acts chapter 2. And so, as opposed to how to kill a church this morning, I want to know how to build a church. And here are the four steps to a healthy church. Four steps to a healthy church. Step one, be relentlessly devoted to God and others. It says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There was a relentless devotion in the early church. And what does this look like? This was a new group of believers, right? These were followers of Jesus Christ, and they had 
uh, they had just experienced the miracle of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on uh, the apostles and there, were, there was teaching in many different languages. There were uh, signs and wonders. There were thousands of people saved from um, the, the sermons of, of Peter and the like. This incredible movement of the people of God created through the Holy Spirit made thousands of people see their sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Devoted is unique language, right? We don't often use this kind of language. We don't use this word. And I can really only think of two times that I use this language in, in my personal life. And it's, it's at these big life moments. The two times that, that I use it are at weddings and funerals. It's at weddings and funerals. Married couples in a wedding ceremony, they devote themselves to each other. And we often hear this language around marriages. They are devoting themselves to each other. And the only other time I can think that I use this language is during funerals. When we are speaking about a person and summarizing what their life was all about, you'd, you often say or you would often hear, you know, uh, this man was a devoted father or this woman was a devoted wife. This language of devotion, it's, it's serious. It's serious language. And it speaks to what are our priorities? What, are our, what is our life all about? What are we prioritizing most? And so what was the early church so relentlessly prioritizing? What did they devote themselves to? What follows in verse, 20, or verse 42 and, and later in this section is what I would call intentional fellowship. They devoted themselves to intentional fellowship or intentional relationships. And so first it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we don't hold that there is um, an apostolic category. There are apostles today. We don't believe that there are apostles today in the same way that they were present in the early church. Uh, this position of apostle is often reserved for those who had witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ, right? A person who had witnessed a resurrected Jesus. But more than that, a person who witnessed the resurrected Christ, but then was also specifically sent by him. Christ commissioned these people. And so we think of uh, the 12 apostles. We also think of the apostle Paul, who's kind of unique. He was not part of the original disciples of, of Jesus, but he witnessed a risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and Jesus specifically sent him. And so we don't believe that there are apostles today. Um, so we say, okay, we can't do this, right? We can't devote ourselves to the apostles. But notice that's not what this is saying. It doesn't say that we are devoting ourselves to the apostles. It says we ought to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And the church here in Acts chapter 2, it was still localized in the city of Jerusalem. There were no, uh, there were no churches outside, really, the city of, of Jerusalem. This is where the apostles were. This is where the Holy Spirit came and Pentecost happened. And so the disciples were there and they were teaching these new followers of Jesus, what were they teaching? What were they teaching? Well, early on, they were teaching um, the presence of the Messiah from the Old Testament, and they were arguing that this person was Jesus Christ. 
And so they were teaching out of the Old Testament. But as the church expanded, and, and the book of Acts is so cool because it walks through this geographic expansion of the church from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as the church grew and expanded, the, the apostles made sure to teach those churches. And how did they do that? They wrote letters, right? They wrote letters. And this is what we at Bethel Church teach. We teach the word of God. And we are committed to teaching the word of God. This is what the early church committed themselves to, the teaching of the apostles, which was the teaching of the word of God. And so this is the first thing they devoted themselves to. Second, it says they prioritized fellowship, and it's described as the breaking of bread and the prayers, right? They were devoted to fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what is this? What is this, right? Well, this is more than, than getting together for dinner and, and watching the game, although I'm sure that happened in the early church. I can totally imagine, you know, they would get whatever they would get, mutton or lamb or beef or whatever, and they'd go watch the chariot races or something. Like, I think that'd be really cool, you know? Maybe they did that. I don't know. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure it happened. But the fellowship here that's described, it's intentional. It says it's intentional. The breaking of bread, it's probably talking about dinner, but when we talk about this language, breaking of bread, it's often describing the Lord's Supper. And the Lord instituted this for his church to follow, and they did, they followed, and so they probably had dinner. And probably at the end of this dinner, they observed the Lord's Supper so that they would be reminded why they are fellowshipping, the importance of what they're doing in in coming together in community, and then also the importance and the reminder that Jesus is coming back. And this fellowship has an end date. And so we ought to be intentional with our relationships. And so the early church, they got together to eat and they got together to pray. And I love this because the early church, they just went about being friends. They went about being in community, but, but they took it a step further. They were intentional about their community. It had a deeper purpose and meaning because of a common devotion and dedication to Jesus. So what does this mean for us here at Hobart Portage? What does this mean for us here at Bethel? You know, you might be saying, man, I would love it. I would love it if somebody invited me over for dinner. Or, you know, I've been thinking about that person, you know, for weeks, and I I wish that we could connect. And I know this happens because I've, I've thought it myself. And here's what I would challenge you. I would challenge you. I challenge you to step out on a limb and invite them over for dinner. There's a, there's a funny thing that happens in, um, in middle school, and as a student pastor, I can wit- witness this, and it's awesome. Um, usually, like in sixth and seventh grade, sometimes I'll have two different students come up to me, and they will talk to me about the person that they are romantically interested in. And so I'll have a sixth grade girl come up, and, and she'll say, you know, man, he's really cute. He's really, really cute. And I'll say, oh, really? What do you, you know, what do you like in him? She'll tell me what she likes in him, and, and she'll go away. And funnily enough, I'll have that same guy, and he'll come up to me, and he'll be like, man, she's really cute. She's really cute, you know? I like her a lot, and I, I think that we could be really good boyfriend and girlfriend. And I say, oh, you know, that's really interesting. And uh, I never tell them that they're talking about the same person. And the funny thing is that they never talk to each other, Right? And so here we are just like dancing around each other in sixth grade, like sixth grade relationships. And I would encourage you, if we are to be intentional about a relationship, somebody has to go first, right? 
Somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to take that leap of faith, that step on the limb, and invite somebody over. Because who knows, they might be thinking the same exact thing about you. Man, I would love to connect with them. I'd love to have dinner with them. And so I challenge you to reach out and connect with somebody. Remembering that we're not going to connect with everybody, right? We won't connect with everybody, but everybody here can connect with somebody, right? Everybody can connect with somebody. And this is one way that we can be relentlessly devoted to others. How about relentlessly devoted to God or relentlessly devoted to the apostles' teaching, teaching the word of God? And this is what we at Bethel are committed to. On Sunday mornings, we preach the Bible, right? If you want to, to learn the Bible, if you want to study the Bible, you come to Bethel Church because we, we look at the Word of God and we preach from the Word of God. I mean, we spent three and a half years through Romans, right? We should all be Romans experts at this point. This is what Bethel is committed to. And not only on Sunday mornings, but this is what Bethel is committed to in all of its ministries. And I'm just going to point out a few here um, because I think they do it really well. Women of the Word is an intentional ministry that is focused on being relentlessly devoted to the Word of God, right? It is, uh, it is work. It is work. There's expectation when you go to women of the Word. It's inductive study of the Bible. It's not, you know, what do I think about my marriage or, or how am I doing uh, relationally or emotionally? They get to, and that happens, but they get together and they say, hey, what does First and Second Peter say? How does it connect with the overall uh, life of the Bible, the overall story of the Bible? And, and they study it, and they study it. Women of the Word does this. Men's Bible study. We have men's Bible study starting this Tuesday. And we're doing the same thing. Inductive study of First and Second Peter, and I encourage you to come out if you're looking to study the Word of God as a man. Tuesday, 6 p.m., right here. Come and study. Men's Bible study. Men's gathering does this on Saturday mornings as well, Right? They look and said, what does God say about my life? Um, what else? Awana. Awana does this. We get our kids together, and they learn the word of God. They memorize the word of God. Verge does this. We walk through scripture. Kids ministry is doing this right now. Probably more systematically than any other ministry that they have, they are walking through the story of the Bible over the next four years. Your kids will look at all of the word of God, the whole revelation of the word of God. This is how we are relentlessly devoted to the study of God's word. Not only does it happen on Sunday mornings, but it happens in all of the ministries that we have. And so how are you committing yourself to the study of God's word in community? I encourage you to check out some of those opportunities. And so this is the first step. It's the first step to being a joyful, outward-facing church, and it's a relational one. How are we devoting ourselves to God and his word, and how are we devoting ourselves to others? Second step to creating a healthy church is to see and to share with a heartfelt affection the stories of the church. It says in verse 43, uh, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And I think what's happening here, what's happening here is storytelling. What's happening here in the early church is storytelling. And, and stories are incredible and powerful things. I'm a sucker for a good story. And all of us really are. We can be enthralled when a good story comes about. I had a roommate um, who was not gifted with the art of storytelling. 
it was a shame because he had absolutely incredible things happen to him. But literally, when he opened his mouth, he was like Pennsylvania Dutch, and it was just this deadpan draw, you know? And it could bore you to death. He was a farmer. Crazy things happened. He could tell a story about a deer running into his combine, and it sounded like the grass was growing. Or he fell. He talked about falling from a grain silo, like 20 feet on a concrete floor, and I was not moved at all. Like... Just tired at the end of the story. But he'd always end his stories with, oh, I guess you just had to be there. <laughs> guess you just had to be there. And I'm like, Zeke, I wish you would take me there with your storytelling. I don't want to be there. Like, take me there. And, but I think it's good encouragement for us. How are we sharing and seeing the stories of what God is doing in this church? The early church had some incredible stories to share. It says that they were in awe about what was happening. And this is another emotion alongside um, devotion that we don't use very often. I can't tell you the last time that I stood in awe of something. Um, And maybe that's to my fault. I wouldn't say it's a common emotion for us, but I'm going to argue really quickly that it should be, especially when it comes to relationships and the things that are happening at church and here at Bethel Hope Reportage. Because what's happening in, in a local body is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is saving and sanctifying people. Okay? These are the two things that are really happening. This is what we do here. We hope that people are saved and we hope that people are, are sanctified, made into the image of Jesus Christ. And so what happens when somebody is saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ in church is that somebody has literally been brought back to life. They were dead in their sins and their trespasses. And what happens to the gospel and in the context of the church and discipleship is that person is made alive again. And how incredibly uh, dull this becomes to us. And, and what a shame that is on my own heart when I see somebody that has experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time and it doesn't move me to awe that God raised somebody back to life. How incredible is that? And more than that, each and every day, we have followers of Jesus Christ. There is sin and there are strongholds being overcome. There's no other way that sin is won and defeated than through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and sin and strongholds in your lives, I know, have been overcome by the power of Jesus Christ. And we ought to stand in awe of what God is doing. There's no other way that this happens other than through the church and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, shame on us that we, we make this a dull thing. That, that sin is, is, is overcome and that we are being sanctified into the image of Christ. We should be standing in awe of what happens in this church. And I'm going to bring back uh, a Dan Jacobson saying. Dan Jacobson used to say it like this, if you see something, say something. If you see something that has happened in your own life or in the life of somebody else, say something about it, right? Don't deny somebody the encouragement of hearing your story. Or don't deny somebody the encouragement of hearing the story of somebody else, right? And and be careful with what you're sharing, obviously. Don't share stuff that is personal or stuff that doesn't need to be shared. But I'd encourage us in the communities that we do have, in small group, how are you being vulnerable? How are you sharing what God is doing in your life and in the life 
of others. How are you doing this in your friend group, right? I think another really cool way that this happens is, is on our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group here about the whole reportage. And every day, somebody is sharing a prayer request or an incredible story about God has, has overcome something in their life. And what an encouragement that is to us. What an encouragement that can be to us. How are you asking the question, what has God been doing in my life lately? And how are we asking this of other people? Let's be encouraged by the stories of the church. We should be witnessing what God is doing, right? And this is how we build a healthy church. This is how we build a healthy church. We're relentlessly devoted to God and others. We see and share the stories of the church. And step three, step three here, is we ought to sacrifice for others with a radical generosity. Sacrifice for others with a radical generosity. Verses 44 and 45, it says this, the early church, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And this is a really interesting verse. And this is the, maybe one verse in Scripture that causes us all to be armchair economists. And the early church was, was radically different from the society that it was a part of. Not only religiously, it worshipped one God, but also economically. The church, uh, it overlapped and it crossed economic divides and, and social, uh, socioeconomic divides. People that were, were high rank and low rank were together. People that were rich and poor were together and this didn't happen. But it happened in the early church. And so the question that always comes out of this verse was, uh, was the early church communist, right? Was the early church, were they communists? Did, you know, Marx and Mao, did they have it right? Did they have it biblically right? And the short answer is no. Right? This was not prescribing communism. Uh, And I'm just going to give three quick reasons. This is not prescribing communism first because it was totally voluntary. Okay? Totally voluntary. There was no government. There was no group of people that were telling you, hey, you need to pool your money. Uh, Secondly, it was motivated by love, right? Rather than any economic efficiency from communism, it was motivated by love. We are helping the needy here. Uh, And then lastly, this was actually temporary. This was a temporary case, and I would um, push you to Acts chapter 11. You can read through and see how it is. Uh, This was temporary. And we all, as uh, good capitalists, we sighed in relief, right? Ha, right? Ha. We don't have to pool our money. We don't have to sell our houses. We don't have to care for the needy. And this is preaching to my own heart here as well, but doesn't it say something? that I am relieved that I don't have to share my financial resources. Jesus has a lot to say on the master that is money, and the early church committed in radical ways to make sure that finances did not rule them. Radical generosity has been a hallmark, a unique difference of Christianity ever since the start of the church. All throughout throughout human history, the needy and the marginalized have been just, just that, right? They have remained needy and they have remained marginalized. They were rarely considered. But in comes this homeless Jewish man, we talked about this last week, speaking about the value of all human life. All human life is valuable. The sick, the needy, the marginalized, the widow, the child. And what do his followers do? They look at that and say, well, I guess we better start caring for these people. 
And so they started hospitals, they started orphanages, they gave to the poor, they cared for the marginalized, they started all of these institutions that never existed before Jesus Christ. They sacrificed for a ra- with a radical generosity. And so the question becomes, how are we as a church, how are we as individual followers of Jesus Christ committing ourselves to radical generosity. One way that we do this is we tithe to the church. So many people would say, why are you giving your money to the church? Why are you not investing that money? You say, I'm investing that money in things that are going to last for eternity, right? Eternal life change comes through the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what my wife and I do. We, we tithe, but then we also support individual mini, uh, missionaries and ministries. Um, There's other ways that we can be radically generous with our resources. It just doesn't have to be our finances. We can be radically generous with our homes. How are you pursuing radical generosity in your hospitality, right? Are you opening up your homes? Are you feeding people? This is one incredible way that we can commit to uh, relationships, but also to radical generosity. And maybe uh, maybe you're like, you know what, My, my finances are a wreck, I have been paying on my student loans and my credit card debt for the last 10 years, and I don't know how to get out from under it. Um, I would encourage you to take advantage of this Financial Peace University class that we have coming up. How can you be a steward of your money so that you might be radically generous, right? We get our financial house in order so that we might be radically generous in the ways that we give. And so this is what the early church looked like when it came to radical generosity. And so three steps were relentlessly devoted to God and others. We're seeing and sharing the stories of the church. We give with a radical generosity. And finally, finally, we experience contagious joy with others. Verses 46 and 47 says, Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God, and having favor with all the people. There is and there ought to be an excitement when people come together and amazing things are happening, right? It's, this is why we, we still go to stadiums. You know, sure, you can, you can sit in your basement and you can watch the game on your 90-inch TV um, all alone eating nachos, or... You could go freeze yourself with 50,000 other people, and, and we do it, right? And it's incredible, and it's amazing, and, and we love going to games because we are all collectively standing in awe of what is happening in front of us, and there's a contagious joy when we are all experiencing the same thing. And there ought to be a contagious joy in our churches and in this church, when we're all experiencing the same thing, we're watching the kingdom of God grow and expand, and we say, wow, this is amazing. Look at what God is doing in this place. And this is what our culture is looking for today. This is what our culture pines after, contagious joy and community. We spend billions of dollars a year trying to find it, trying to buy it, but we can never seem to grasp it. We want to be part of something that's larger than ourselves, right? We want to be part of a group that shares its story and has its experience of of contagious joy, but culture looks in all of the wrong places for it. 
You know, we look at the early church and, and, and look what they were. They were with each other all the time. They shared their money. They sold their property. They talked about the things of God. And society would look at that and think it's a prison, right? Man, that looks awful. That looks terrible. But what happens is when we do this and when we experience this and we see it out of Acts chapter 2 is there is joy. There is joy because the people of God are doing the things of God and God is, is blessing that with joy. I would say there's no way that people can be happy worshiping a God who calls themselves to self-sacrifice. But this is what happens. True joy True joy, true community comes by way of a cross-centered life. It doesn't seem like these things should bring joy, but it does. It does, and that is what we experience here in a healthy church. And so what is the result? What's the result of these four steps? The result is not a sad, shrinking, inward-facing church, but in Acts chapter 2, the result is a joyous, growing, outward-facing church. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And let's not forget what is at stake here. Let's not forget what is at stake when the church is the church, when it's healthy, when it's joyous, when it's outward facing. Souls are saved from hell. Souls are saved from hell. The community looks in and it sees what it most desires, joy and community. And they see that there is joy that comes from eternal things and not from temporary things. They see that our community is centered around the person of Jesus where different people can love each other well and be part of the same thing. This is how we can be a light to the region. This is how we can seek the good of our cities. This is how we can bring glory to God by being a church that God calls us to be. And so these are the four steps to a healthy church. That we're relentlessly devoted to God and to others. That we see and share with a heartfelt affection the stories of the church. That we sacrifice for others with a radical generosity. And that we experience contagious joy with one another. And so as I've mentioned, there's a number of ways you can find community here at Bethel Holbrook Portage. We seek to be more, of a crowd, more than a crowd, we want to be family, and we encourage you to step out of the crowd and into the family of God. And so, just a quick reminder of how you can find community here. We have Saturday morning men's gathering. We have Tuesday evening Bible study, men's Bible study. We have Thursday women of the word. There's small groups. There's our young adult rooted gatherings. There's grief share and so many others. And I'd encourage you, I'd encourage you to start being a part of what God is doing here at Bethel Harbor Portage, to step out of the crowd and into the family to serve the church so that this body of believers might be healthy to the glory of God. Amen and amen.